your Bibles with you tonight and you want to turn there, let me taking some scripture out of the gospel according to John in chapter 6 here. And uh, what a roller coaster ride John chapter 6 is. You know, it, uh, it starts kind of on a high note, ends on kind of a low note. And uh, of course, time fails us to read through all of the verses. It's a rather lengthy chapter. Uh, but I, I want to start reading at about uh, uh, verse 28, and uh, then we'll, we'll move toward the latter part of the chapter as well. Um, and in this, you know that this particular chapter starts out, and uh, one of the first things that happens is Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and He does it with minimal supplies. And of course, this is an amazing miracle. He uh, says that he, he not only feeds them, you know, because I'm pretty sure I could take a bag of potato chips and crush them up into small enough pieces and feed 5,000 people, but I doubt they'd be full and I doubt there'd be much left over. But it says when Jesus got done that everybody got their fill and that they took up excess. And that was all to show uh, the divine ability of Jesus Christ to be able to do these things. And uh, then we find at a later point in the same chapter Jesus walking on water. Uh, uh, but He begins to really minister where we're getting ready to read. Uh, and it really kind of, He begins to separate uh, uh, the ones that truly believe and the ones whose bellies are just kind of growling. And we got to remember that when we come to the Lord uh, uh, while we're coming to Him, especially as Christians, uh, uh, that we come to Him and maybe it is that we want a blessing, but maybe uh, uh, what He's wanting is for us to be the blessing, uh, that He's wanting us to go out uh, uh, and to minister and to do these things. And He's saying, when you go out, uh, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take care of you, uh, but you're going to go out into the world uh, and you're going to do my work. Uh, uh, and here now He begins to tell them uh, about this bread of God that it comes down from heaven. Uh, we'll start reading at verse 28 in John chapter 6. Uh, it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him He hath sent. Uh, you realize that that is the first uh, and most important part. Uh, there's a box sitting right here in front of the pulpit uh, that says to believe. Uh, uh, and Brother Everett Mattings, my grandfather-in-law, one of the things uh, that he said to me before I was ever a Christian, uh, and we were talking about the Bible, uh, and I had a very academic understanding of it, uh, and he said, but a believer uh, is a doer. Uh, they don't just know about it, uh, because if all you do is read this Word and you understand it, uh, and maybe you understand it better than I do, uh, uh, but you don't really believe on it, uh, then best case scenario is all yours is hypocrite. Worst case scenario is you've been fooled into thinking that academic knowledge is going to buy your way into heaven. But Jesus said, believe on He who God has sent. And this is really when He begins to get down to the brass tacks of His ministry. And we'll see in just a minute the response to when He really begins to try to reveal Himself to the big old crowd that's following Him. 
And you know, I find it interesting that it says now, he, he fed 5,000 people. There were a lot of people following him around. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of them were just following because they'd heard about the things that he had done. They'd seen the spectacle. They, were, they just didn't want to miss a thing. But they really didn't understand why that he had come into this world. It was that they had a need that was greater than food in their belly. Greater than being entertained. But rather they needed a Savior. And they had to believe on and so he lays it out very plainly and then it says in verse 30 they said therefore unto him what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee what dost thou work our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat and in another place Jesus told them look a wicked and an adulterous generation they're the ones that seek after a sign and he told them he said here's the sign that you'll be given just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a well so shall the son of man be three days in the belly of the earth and yet they wouldn't believe on that sign and he was the one that overcame death. He was the one that came into this world and bore our sins. Went down into the grave. The grave of a sinner now church. We need to understand he went through hell for us. He didn't go to heaven when he died. He had all of your filthy sin. All of my filthy sin. All of it was on him. And they look around and they're saying well what's the sign? Well, how will we know these things to come to pass? Uh, uh, and if you look, if you begin to study his life uh, uh, as the man that wrote this book and the ones that wrote the other Gospels, uh, and they began to look at his life, uh, they seen all the signs being fulfilled. Uh, that he was born of a virgin. Uh, that he was in, a, in adherence to the law uh, in every possible way. Uh, that he lived a life without sin. Uh, and if a person can't believe that, then why are we even here? If we can't believe that Jesus Christ uh, is who He said uh, that He is, uh, if we can't believe this book, uh, uh, then I can tell you we don't have any hope at all. This religion's no better than any other. C.S. Lewis wrote many years ago uh, talking about Jesus Christ and he said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Uh, he's one of the three and pick one uh, and believe upon it. Uh, and right here Jesus is telling them, uh, he says, look, uh, you got to believe on me. And they say, how can we? What's the sign? Show us this. And notice what he says in verse 32. Then said Jesus unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world uh, that Jesus said that he come into this world uh, to bring life uh, because all that was in it was death and if you're wondering how death even got in here because God didn't create it for man to die God never intended that man should die and you'll notice though that after he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, that he was forbidden to eat of the tree of life. Uh, but prior to that, he ate from the tree of life. Uh, he was going to live uh, continually with God uh, but he chose death. Uh, and if a person wants to be saved, uh, they have to choose Christ uh, and they have to choose life. He's that bread of God that came down from heaven. And Jesus is telling him, you all look around you think Moses did that? If Moses were here, he'd tell you, no, you've missed the point. 
God sent that. Because if you notice there when God was doing that, when they were wandering in the wilderness, and it was all because of their own sin, they'd come to Canaan and God said, go on in, it's yours. And they said, now hold on. We can't go in there. They got big walled cities. We see giants over there and chariots of iron. We can't go in and take that. And they refused to believe. To believe God at His Word. And then God said, all right, don't go in. And I mean, it's, it's outrageous the way that they responded. But let us not judge too harshly because we might have went right along with them. But it says after God said don't go in, you know what they turn around and do? They go in. And they get their plows cleaned and sent right back out. And God has them wandering in the wilderness. And during that time, He takes care of them and He leads them. Says that their clothes didn't wear out. Says that the manna was there every single morning. And this was a stay of them having to till the land and live by the sweat of their face. And they never looked around. At one time, they grumbled and complained about the manna. Because it wasn't presented the way that they wanted it. They got sick of eating it. And I can tell you that sometimes we as Christians, I think we get our weakest in the day to day. When we forget the glory of God, when we see a miracle happen, we're on cloud nine with Him. What about the mundane day to dayness that we get that we get up and we work and we endure this world and maybe we minister for Him a little bit. But if we're not careful, we get weary in the well-doing. But you see, how often do we pray, Lord, give us this day, our daily bread. Lord, I, don't, I haven't a clue what I need for this day, God, but You know. You get me ready for what comes ahead. This may be the toughest day that I go through because a couple of weeks ago, I was having a perfectly fine day teaching students. It was a pretty good day. The kids were well behaved. I had some very teachable moments and things were going well. And then my wife and daughter show up at work and tell me that my daughter might have a brain tumor. I didn't know that was going to happen that day. I hadn't got up that morning prepared for that kind of news. And I'll tell you, as my dad would say, that'll take the wind out of your sails. That'll change that whole day and put it on its head. But I tell you, the thing that changes everything is the Most High God. The One that we serve. The One who can show you a bad situation and say, you're going to make it through. You're going to be alright. You just trust in Me because I have the life that you need and I have it in abundance. And so Jesus now, He tells him, verse 33, For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Verse 34, Then said they unto Him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They say, you know what? That sounds good. Hand it over. And you'll notice at the beginning of this chapter, He gave them bread. But now that bread got digested and used up and consumed upon their lust. But notice what He says in verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to Me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst what he's saying is when you come to me and you believe you'll be satisfied because when he faced Satan himself in the wilderness and Satan told him hey if you're the son of God command that these stones be made bread he looked at him and said look man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the most high God's mouth and he turned Satan away and I'll tell you this if you're worried about the future you 
you remember He is the bread that you need. I can't tell you that you're going to have a cupboard full. But I can tell you that you'll have a handful every time that you need it. That God sends the rain. He can make those uh, uh, who are in the middle of a famine to prosper. He can make those who are in the middle of rampant inflation uh, uh, to really prosper uh, uh, because they trusted in Him. And I'm not against prepping for anything. Believe you me, uh, I have backup plans that have backup plans. Uh, But I can tell you this, every plan that I've got uh, for when the power goes out, uh, for when the water goes out, uh, uh, that every plan begins and ends with it. The Lord allows me uh, uh, to live uh, and continues to bless me because without Him... All my plans are going to fail. Some of the most frustrating times in my life, and I think I've told you about it before, you know, I went to trade school when I was 19 and 20 years old to be an auto mechanic. I'm highly skilled in that field. And yet there are some times when I'll get under a vehicle and nothing goes my way. That I'll get the wrong size wrench. I'll think it's this size and try every size around it, and then suddenly the first size I, I tried suddenly is right now. I don't even know how that's even mathematically possible. And you know that I look around and I think I'll have the solution to the problem, and I fight it and I bang my knuckles and hurt myself and get so sore that I can't hardly live. And then sometimes I'll stop and think, you know what I didn't do before I ever turned the first wrench or opened the toolbox? I didn't seek the counsel of the Most High. I didn't trust God with this. And some people would say, well, that kind of seems silly, Brother Jeremiah. Well, I'll tell you this, I'll make plans and they don't work out. And I may think that I know what comes next. And I haven't the foggiest idea. But God knows. And God goes ahead of us. And He helps us. And He takes care of us. And every plan that we have should be perched on if the Lord allows. Because I believe it was James who said how arrogant it is to say we're going to go into this city and get gain and prosper. Rather than saying, if the Lord allows me to do so. You see, we've got to believe and trust in that bread of God which comes down from heaven. And you'll notice now in verse 36, he says, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That Jesus said, look, I could do pretty much whatever I wanted to. He was the Son of the Most High God. He could speak and things would happen. But he said, but I came to do God's will. And then in the next verse, you know, a lot of times I think we run around in our day-to-day life and we look around and we say, God, what's your, what's your will for me? Well, I'll tell you in the next Scripture, it says what God's will is. It says in verse 39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that, all, uh, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again, at the last day, and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the end of the day, at the last day. That's what our God is wanting for us, is life, and life more abundantly. We think we know what we want. You know, years ago, I thought I knew what I wanted. I found that as I've gotten older, 
The only thing that I've become more and more aware of, or should I say know more and more of, is how little that I actually do know. You know, when I was a teenager, and I remember, you know, working for Dad's business and everything, and I had friends that would come and go working for him and stuff, and I always knew more about the work than what they did. And, you know, but I, and they would always say, uh, uh, teenagers think they know everything. And I thought, well, I'm not that teenager. I just know everything that you ought to know. I know I don't know everything. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's ridiculous. And, I, and it bled right on over into my 20s until that I looked around and I said, you know, there might be some things that I ought to know and don't know. And then I got into my 30s and I looked around and I said, you know, there's a whole lot that I don't know. And I believe now that I'm in my 40s, I'm just certain that I don't know much. I'm just getting educated enough to know uh, that there's still a whole lot uh, that I need to know. But I do know this. Uh, I know that this world needs Jesus Christ as a Savior. Uh, I do know that a lost person will die and go to hell. Uh, and what makes a person lost uh, is they're not hanging on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, that Him crucified. Uh, because of a person, if you were to walk up uh, to any person who calls himself a Christian uh, and look at him and point right in their face and say, what makes you think uh, that you You'll make it to heaven. If they start this sentence with I, they've already messed up. But if they say Jesus, that one name says it all. Because we're not good enough. At no point could we ever hope to be good enough. And you see Jesus when He was telling them this and He said, now what I'm going to do when they... Believe upon me is I'm going to raise him up at the last day. And that makes me think of a time when that there's a funeral procession coming by and Jesus happens upon it. You know, he was a funeral ruiner. He ruined a couple of funerals. They was carrying this young man and his widowed mother was weeping over him and says that Jesus just walks over and puts his hand on the casket and the dead man comes out of the casket. At another point in this same gospel, he speaks to dead ears and they hear. He's going to call you out by name. He's going to call your name and you're going to come out and all that it's dependent upon is belief on him. That's it. And a believer is a doer. And Jesus says all this, and and it says, now look in the next verse how they respond to this. Then the Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man come to, can come to Me except the Father which has sent Me. Draw Him, and I will raise Him up at the last day. That uh, I can tell you this, I can stand up and preach the Gospel uh, until I fall over from lack of oxygen. Uh, and it won't save a person unless the Holy Spirit draws them and they come to Christ and they receive Him and He satisfies everything that they need because they believe on Him. You believe on Jeremiah Williamson, it won't get you much. Oh, I, you know, you may, oh, he's a pretty good fella and all these things, but I can tell you, I can't save you. I can't help you in that regard. I can do a lot for you. I might be able to fix your car if it's not something big. I might be able to teach your kids a little something as a teacher. I've got several different skill sets that I've honed over the years, but I can tell you this, after this life, there ain't a thing I can do for you. 
And I might want to. Might really try and do everything that I can do. But I can point you to one who can take care of things when this heart stops beating. When this life comes to an end. The way the Apostle Paul put it, he said, if we have hope of Christ in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. But now, don't get too worried because he also said, come unto me all you that are labored and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. In this life. He'll help you in this life. But if He only helps us in this life, well, that's pretty good. But it's not going to do much in the next one. And you see, a lot of people run around and they think, well, hell's not real. And they think that everybody gets to heaven, that all you've got to do... And and, and maybe, you know, when I started Marshall University in 2012, I was 32 years old. I remember, you know, when I first went in there and I went through, you know, the Wayne County Gifted Program and I was one of the quote-unquote smart kids. And uh, I remember, though, being terrified, thinking, am I going to be able to do this? 32 years old, can this old dog learn some new tricks? And I definitely felt like the old man on campus. And I remember now that I got in there and, uh, you know, got shoulder-to-shoulder with these kids. And I was, I was dumbfounded. Because they grew up during the so-called No Child Left Behind Act. I had no idea what to make of that. And a professor who was around my age pointed it out to me. As I told him one day, I said, they think they get a parade for showing up. And he said, yeah, because that's what they've got all the way through their public school education. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, no, that's what No Child Left Behind did. And I think that that's the same mentality that people have about heaven is they look around and say, well, I'm better than half of the other people, so that gets me in, right? No! If you want to know how worthy you are of heaven, don't compare yourself to me. Compare yourself to Christ. And then you'll look around and you'll say, I ain't going to make it. I can't be good enough. I can't do enough. I can't make it. And it's no different than when Jesus uh, was preaching the so-called Sermon on the Mount. He began to say, you think the law's down here? And He said, I'm telling you, it's way higher than what you thought. And we know uh, of the Ten Commandments. And and I've run into this increasingly lately. People look around and and in this day and time, they want to discount the Old Testament. Why? They want to look around and say, oh, you don't have to worry about those Old Ten Commandments. Especially the fourth one. It says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And I've thought a lot about that lately. It's important to have that rest. God wants us to rest and meditate upon Him and to consider Him. But now think about this. A lot of people run around and they say, well, because Christ died on the cross, you know that 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 commandment's invalidated. Does that then invalidate all of the commandments? Because if that works in reverse, then it says you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. So then if one is invalidated, doesn't that kind of logically cause all of them to be invalidated. So that means murder's okay. And adultery is just fine. And lying and thieving and having other gods before Him and idolatry. And you see how it begins to fall apart. And that's why it is that it's all or it's nothing. That when a person is wanting to make it to heaven, it's all on Christ or you're counting on your own merits and you better check off every item on the list. And the Apostle Paul, he thought he had every item checked off. <laughs> he said, I did better than most anybody else. Oh, yeah. I, you know, circumcised on the eighth day. 
trained at the feet of Gamaliel. That's like going to Harvard University. He had all this pedigree and he said, but when I met Christ, I discovered what a covetous man that I am. And guilty of one, guilty of them all. That's why whenever we get judgmental about other people, we better be careful. You notice the one time that the Pharisees come to Jesus and asked Him to render judgment on somebody. They'd caught a woman in the very act of adultery. And they said, now Jesus, the law says that she is to be killed. And Jesus says, look at your sin first. And then decide what to do with this woman. And I think if nothing else, they began to realize, well, I lied the other day. You know, I took something without asking. I got angry. I committed murder in my heart. I, 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 you know, set God aside. And then they began to look at themselves and say, I'm no better. Maybe that was what happened to them. And maybe when you're feeling judgmental and you're looking down your nose at somebody else, and I have to tell the guy that's talking to you this regularly, you ain't no better. We're all sinners saved by the grace and mercy of the Most High God by His Son's blood. We have to eat of that bread of God which came down from heaven. And time fails me to read the remainder of this chapter and for homework you can read it if you want to. But you see, Jesus really gets down into the meat and potatoes of His ministry. I'll summarize it for you. He really gets down into it and He begins to tell them, look, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you'll have no part with me. And of course, several of them was like, he's, he's lost his mind. He's off his nut. If he's saying, if he thinks we're going to resort to cannibalism. And what he was essentially saying is he's saying, you've got to buy in and buy in fully. Trust me completely that I am who I say I am. In the 8th chapter of this same book, he tells me, he says, look, if you don't believe me for what I'm saying, believe me for the very work's sake. For just look at what I'm doing. See the blind eyes. Hear the deaf ears. The same thing he told John's disciples when they come and said, are you he? Or do we look for another? And he says, you go tell John what you see. You go tell him about the blind eyes that now see, the deaf ears that now hear, how the lame walk, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And just believe on what the evidence is. And Jesus tells this entire crowd, and I can tell you, when you really get down to the brass tacks of the gospel, it'll cause a lot of people to quit. Oh yeah! It'll shake loose the disingenuous ones. And they'll walk away. But hopefully they'll come back. Oh yeah! You see, because a tree that has strong roots will stand no matter what. Yes. You know, uh, uh, Paul and, and Silas, you know, before they went out on their journey, uh, it was Paul and Barnabas. And there was a young man that traveled with him. And he quit partway through. Oh, yeah. A man by the name of Mark, John Mark. And Paul said, I ain't taking him with me. He said, he's just like it says in Proverbs, he's a double-minded man, and a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And the disagreement was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they, they split ways. Oh, yeah. But then you find Paul in the book of 2 Timothy. And he's talking to Timothy and he says, Timothy, and he was, it was coming down to the end of Paul, Paul's life. And he said, Timothy, if you get a chance, come see me. 
You know, it's always hard for me to read that scripture because it makes me think of the last time that I spoke with my dad. You know, he, he just wanted me to come and see him, sit with him, spend some time with him, and I was so busy. And, and, and he begins to tell him, bring, bring the coat that I left. It gets kind of cold here in this Roman prison. But he mentions a name, and he talks about John Mark and how useful that he was. You see, we serve a God that's a God of second chances. We serve a God that don't quit on us just because that we didn't do every little thing. And I'm thankful for that because I stumble and fall on the regular. And He's still willing to pick me back up and to dust me off. And Jesus now, he, I believe He's shaking the tree right here and seeing who's really hanging on. Because if you look toward the end of this chapter... Verse 64, 65, and 66. Verse 64 says, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. Verse 65, And He said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto him of My Father. And Luke 6, 66 says, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. I quit. He really got in to the hard stuff of the gospel. Where he says, sometimes you're not going to get stuff added to you. You're going to get stuff took from you. But it's stuff that would hinder you. It's no different than when the young man comes running up to Jesus and says, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, yeah. And Jesus tells him, you know the law. And he said, well, I kept the law from my youth up. And Jesus says, well, here's what you do to be perfect. And he said, you sell all that you have and give to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. He started out so good. He had a zeal. He called him good master. He recognized him as something more than just your average schmo that was spouting Scripture. And Jesus told him, and it said, it's one of the few times that somebody comes to Jesus and they leave sorrowful. As it said, he left sorrowful because he had great possessions. I can tell you this, a lot of people love to just grab that Scripture in a headlock and run with it and say, well, that means it's a sin to be wealthy. No, that is not what it means. What it means uh, is that anything that gets between you and God, get rid of it. Uh, In another place, He said, if your eye would cause you to sin, pluck it out. (laughs) You think I preach hard doctrine. Jesus said, if your hand would cause you to offend, chop it off. It's a rather bloody religion if you ask me. Thankfully, the blood is all supplied on his side. And he got to similar things here, and he says, if you don't buy him fully, you don't believe on me as the Son of the Most High God, and don't let anything stand in your way between you and me, you'll not make it. And it says, a lot of them walked away and said, he's just another zealot. He, he's, he's, he's talking crazy now. I was here for the food. I heard about how he could walk on water. I seen him get a man by the hand and tell him to get up and walk, and it was a man that hadn't walked in years. Seen all these things, all that spectacle. And now, he's talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. I'm going home. That's enough for me. 
And I, I don't think it's coincidence that this is John six sixty six. Now I had to clarify this with some of my students the other day when, when I was teaching in chemistry, and the, and I'll tell you what I had to tell them: the element carbon on the periodic table, it's element number six. It has six protons, six neutrons, and six electrons. And the student said, oh, that's, that's the three sixes. And I said, yeah, so? And I said, you mean six, six, six? Oh, Mr. Williamson, you said it. And I said, well, yeah. And they said, well, you don't say that. I'm like, I've heard you all say way worse. And they go, well, yeah, but... And I said, let me guess, when you go to the store and you buy something and it comes up to $6.66, you'll quickly grab something else and buy it too. Well, yeah. And I was like, that is the number of a man. Right. According to the Bible. Man created on the sixth day. Yes. That 666 means man, man, man. And all the bad stuff that happens in the book of the Revelation, it's all about God saying, all right, not my will but thine. And so right here now, in John 6.66, man says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go off and do what I believe to be right. And if you've ever read the book of Judges, you see how that turns out. It says that in those days there was no judge in the land and the people did what was right in their own eyes and it got worse and worse and worse. They served other gods. They committed the oldest sins in the newest of ways. No different than 21st century United States of America, in fact. The oldest of sins, but just with a new spin on it. I can tell you this, this, the sins that are being openly committed nowadays, they're not new. They were committed then. They continue to be committed. They might call it something new, but it's the same thing. But You see, these people, they walked away and then Jesus asked the question, I want you to ask yourself this question. Every time that you're tempted to sin, I want you to remember John 6, 67. Because it says, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Are you going to quit too? Have you gone so far that you think you can't come back? Have you made a wrong turn? Well, I can tell you this, the only thing that keeps us in sin is a refusal to repent. And often for me, it's pride. I, I, I begin to justify. Oh, well, you know, I wasn't well, well, real well rested. And so I lost my temper. That's fine, repent. It's literally that simple. And the devil's like that buddy, though, that ags you on in doing something and goes and tells on you when it's done. Oh, yeah. That's the way he does. Yeah. And then he'll say, hey, you can't get away with that. That's once too often. You done messed up. You remember how many times you've had to ask for forgiveness for this one? You might as well not even bother anymore. That is a lie out of the devil's hell. That even if we fall a hundred times in a day, he'll pick us back up. That the thing that causes a person to backslide is not one act. It's the lack of repentance. And make no mistake, church, repentance isn't just like a little kid throwing out sorry because it magically cleans the slate. It's kind of like saying bless their heart whenever you cut somebody's guts out. Oh, bless your heart. No, what it is, is it is a turning away. It is a heartfelt apology and acknowledgement of your sin. And I'll tell you where I learned the most about repenting 
was in my marriage. But there was one time Sister Crystal and I were at a church there in Crum, and uh, we were working together, and husbands and wives don't often work well together. I don't think that's a secret. Um, we were working together, and I wanted her to go left, and she went right. She actually did go right, but it was my left. And so there was a lack of communication or proper communication on my part, and I, I jumped on her in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, then I realized I was wrong. Now, for a man, that's, that's difficult to acknowledge. I was wrong, and I was. And the Lord rebuked me pretty hard for that. And uh, on the way home from church, I had to ask her to forgive me. And you know how it is when you say you're sorry to somebody and you go to making excuses? <laughs> or worse yet, you blame them. Yeah, that's not really an apology. And I, I got ready to launch into that, you know, my developed intellect and everything. I thought, now, I'll apologize, but I don't want it to sound like an apology. And it was like I started into it and the Lord said, nope, try again. And so what it come down to, and the Lord was teaching me during this time, and I was preaching regularly during this time, and He showed me, you have to speak to her confident that she still loves you. And that even though you're a horse's rump, she'll forgive you and continue to love you. And I thought, well, that's what i got to do. And I told her, I said, I'm wrong, and I have no excuse and all I can do is ask that your love, I got, I've got to cash in some of the love that you have for me and ask you to forgive me. And she didn't say, all right, you're walking home and that'll be your penance. And from crumb to my house, it's a good ways, even through the hillside. And she forgave me. And then God said, see how easy that was? Because she loves you. And you see, a lot of times we don't repent. And He loves you more than what she loves me. Oh, yes. And He's ready to forgive you. And you ask yourself, when you're hesitant to repent, John 6, 67, will you also go away? Or will you come unto Him, all ye that are labored and heavy laden, and He'll give you rest? You see, because what Simon Peter says in this next thing, and this should be what we should buoy ourselves with any time that we are ready to fall down and walking in slippery places and committing the oldest of sins and the newest of ways. It says in verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Oh, yes. It's, it's literally that simple. If you want to live after this life ends, it's Christ or nothing. That's it. And in verse 69, he says, And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. That Peter now, he managed to pry his foot out of his mouth for a brief while, and he spoke something good. And he said, Where are we going to go? You ask yourself, where could I go but to the Lord? 
He has everything you need. You can come talk to me and maybe I can reason things out for you or I can provide you with some insight. But I'll tell you this, when that heart stops beating, Brother Jeremiah can't help you anymore. But there is a man, a God in heaven. He can help you. He can take care of you. And not only in the next life, but this one also. How quickly it is we live in defeat when we ought to have victory. All because that we are not trading and claiming the blood that is given to us by the Son of the Most High. And the freedom. You know those Ten Commandments that I talked about earlier, really all they're about is God is saying, look, if you do this, you'll, you'll have joy in Me. Yeah. And don't hurt yourself. You know, that I mean, if you're going out and sinning, eventually it'll catch up with you. The world will make sure of that. Oh, it may not be ten years from now. It may not be 20 or 30, but eventually it takes its toll. Sin never stays where you put it. It doesn't just stop with the little thing. It will continue to get bigger and bigger and grow and take over more areas of your life unless you point it out and say, God, I need that gone. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to put it down. The flesh doesn't want to turn it loose. Right. The Apostle Paul, he knew what that was like. Said he had a thorn in the flesh. Oh, yeah. Asked God three different times. He said, I'm a God that has performed miracles. And he said, and I besought the Lord three times to get rid of that. And he, God told him, my grace is sufficient for thee. God answered him. It might not have been the answer that he wanted, but he accepted it. Yes. I can tell you this, all that it takes for the Christian is the same thing that it took at the start. Belief. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not forget the God that we serve. There's no searching of His understanding. His arm isn't short that He can't reach us. And there's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love of Him. There's nothing in this world that can separate us if we have it in Christ Jesus. But now if we just put it in our own intellectual understanding, in our own beating in time, and how much money's donated here, or how much time is spent going there and all these things, that's not that that doesn't do it. Those are those should be symptomatic of a spirit filled life. And see, Jesus, when that he told all these people, they heard, they heard every word that he said, but they didn't buy in. You see, you imagine somebody comes up and attacks your belief. They say, why do you even believe that? Could you defend yourself? Could you come up with something more than just, well, I don't know, I just believe it. Or could you say, I know what God has showed me and give them your testimony of what He's brought you through, how He's helped you, how He's used you. Because if you can't, That's a bit of a problem. I'm going to ask you in this moment in time right now.